I guess I'll go up there after all. Well, the, the thing about that song, um, four years ago, summer of 2008, my wife and I went up to a cemetery and chose my burial plot, and we talked about my funeral, and we talked about that song. And that song was going to be played and sung at my funeral. And because the words were so appropriate, and much of, of the eulogy, I wanted to be about that, that when the sun's shining down on me and the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. But you know what? When the road's marked with suffering and there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name because you give and you take away. And that's not all that I want to tell you today, but you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I went to Bill and I, I said, you know, it's possible to put those words up. And I don't know who was responsible for choosing the songs this morning, but <laughs> ultimately it was God. And uh, that song meant a lot to me. So, back in 2007, I was very healthy, 44 years old. I was very active. I ran, I lifted weights, played basketball every chance I got. And, uh, 44 years old, and as Bill said, I'm a lawyer. I came out of court on Friday, October 5th, 2007, a beautiful sunny day. I started walking to my car, and I felt this horrible pain in my throat. And I didn't know what it was. It was at the base of my throat, and I knew it was something really, really serious. And so I went back, walked back into the courtroom, went in the first office I could find, and sat down. And Carolyn Miller, chief court clerk, looked at me, and she said, you're in trouble, aren't you? I just nodded my head. She said, should I call 911? And within minutes, EMTs were there, and things happened so quickly, but I was strapped down onto a gurney, and I remember coming out of the courthouse and seeing the ambulance wasn't in the parking lot. It was at the bottom of the stairs of the courthouse, and they were rushing me down the stairs and into the, the ambulance, and I knew this is something pretty serious. Well, what happened to me is I had an aortic dissection, and uh, I forgot to, to bring my PowerPoint, so we'll do this old-fashioned. You have to use your imagination a little bit. Um, but the aorta is the largest artery in the body. It comes up out of the heart, and then it goes down through the entire torso and branches off. It feeds your legs, your arms, your head, and all of your vital organs. All of the other arteries come off of this. So this is central to your life. And the artery has a lining. It actually has two concentric rings in the lining to keep the blood flowing to your body. And what happens in an aortic dissection that I experienced that day is the inner lining breaks. And now the blood, instead of flowing through this into your organs, into your limbs, it flows between those linings. And it goes like this, and it starts bulging out your aorta and cutting off blood supply to the rest of your body, and then eventually it breaks and you die. And it's very rare. It happens in about three out of every 100,000 people will have an aortic dissection. 80% of the people who have one die. Uh, the other 20% are fortunate enough to be very close to a hospital. They get into surgery within one hour. If you're into surgery within an hour, you have a 20% chance of survival. Anything longer than that, and it's pretty much unheard of 
to survive. Well, they brought me to Wellsville, and the doctors in Wellsville had no idea what was wrong with me. Even though I had, I later found out, the three classic signs of having an aorta dissection, they hadn't seen that before, and they didn't know what it was. So my wife came, and my pastor, and my pastor's wife, and they stood by my bed praying for me for over three hours while the doctors tried to figure out what was wrong with me, and they didn't know. Finally, they took me in for a CAT scan, and it showed I had a dissection, and immediately they put me on a helicopter, flew me up to Rochester, went to Strong Memorial Hospital, I went into the, emerg- into the operating room. So now I'm four, more than four hours after I had the dissection. Medically, no reason to still be alive. I should have been dead hours ago. But the Lord saved my life. So I had a seven-hour surgery to take out about eight inches of my aorta, it comes up and bends around, so they, they took the arch out where the worst break was, replaced it with about eight inches of this stuff, and um, <laughs> more from this later. <laughs> uh, and so I came out of the surgery, and the doctor said to my wife, He's doing well, he's stable. I want you to go home and get some rest and come to see him tomorrow. So she drove an hour and a half back home. And then at about three in the morning, she got a call from the hospital. And the doctor said something went wrong. And an artery in his, a blood vessel in his chest broke. And he has internal bleeding. We have to go in, cut through his sternum again, open him up again, do another open heart surgery or he's going to die. So they did. They took me back in, did another surgery and uh, replaced that broken blood vessel. I woke up later on Saturday, and I knew it was Saturday because, as Bill said, I'm a big sports fan, especially Syracuse University. Love watching Syracuse University basketball and football. And uh, I woke up Saturday. I knew it was Saturday afternoon. Um, Didn't notice so much that my wife and Doug and Mimi Wheeler, who are here, were in my room. But I did notice that there was a TV on and there was college football on. And I thought to myself, (laughs) it's Saturday afternoon. And then the the score scrolled along the bottom, and I saw West Virginia 44, Syracuse 0. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that was my first thought when I woke up. Um, (laughs) So... I went home after about a week, was very weak, couldn't eat, uh, lost a lot of weight, but the Lord kept me alive, and I was very thankful for that. A month later, I went back to the doctor. He said, well, we'll never know what happened to you. There's no explanation for why somebody as healthy as you and as young as you would have had this kind of a traumatic experience, but I want you to start working on your recovery now. You need to go and try to walk about a mile a day. Okay, that sounded good to me. So on, uh, on Monday, I went to the Genesee Valley School, walked around the indoor track, and literally I was holding onto the rail and walking like this. And I walked a half mile. And it took me 45 minutes to do a half mile. And the worst part about it was that there were three women probably in their 80s who passed me three or four times. <laughs> But I made it my half mile, 
I was completely exhausted. The next day, I just slept all day long. So then on Wednesday, I said, Lord, I'm going to do it again. So I went back to Genesee Valley. And again, I held onto the rail, and I pulled myself around for a half mile, 45-minute workout. And then I went, and I sat down. My son was playing basketball, so I sat down on the floor to watch him play basketball. And when he was done, I stood up, and boom, went right down to the floor and passed out. So the EMTs came. They were the same EMTs who had saved my life one month earlier. In fact, this was exactly 30 days later. And they said, we can't make you go back to the hospital, but we really think you should. We strongly urge you to. I didn't want to. I didn't want anything wrong. I didn't want to have anything wrong with me. But I went back to the hospital. So I went to Jones, and they said, we have to send you back up. First, they said, we'll keep you overnight for observation. Then in the morning... I had called my wife and said, pick me up about noon tomorrow. She came in there. I'd already been told, you're going back to strong again. So I went back to strong because now I had cardiomyopathy, which is heart failure. My heart was enlarged and weak. And there's no medical known connection between aortic dissections and heart failure, but I had them both. So I'm in strong again for a week. I talked to the doctor, and he says, this is just really, really curious. You know, we don't know why these things happen to you, but it's just a fluke. You know, you are just the unlucky one who had these two very serious conditions, and we'll never know why you had that. And he sent me home. So I went home, and, and I tried, whenever I got out of the hospital, I always tried to work and, and tried to stay healthy and stuff as much as I could, though it was very difficult at times. Um, but I had a friend who kept saying, you need to go to the Cleveland Clinic. Cleveland Clinic has been the number one heart hospital in the country for about 20 years. And she kept saying, you need to go there, you need to go there. And I, I'd say, yeah, okay. But I didn't want to go. Because again, I didn't want to know there was anything wrong with me. I thought, God healed me. He kept me through that first night. There was no reason for me to be alive. And I'm alive. So I'm going to be fine. Jesus is healing me. And I'm going to go on with my life. Well, she kept pushing me. And finally, I said, fine, I'll make an appointment. So I went out to the Cleveland Clinic. At the Cleveland Clinic, I underwent a number of tests, including some genetic testing, and through several appointments out there, I found out that I have something called Lois Dietz syndrome, which none of you, except for my good friends here, ever heard of before. And they hadn't heard of it until they found out that I had it. It's a very rare disorder. In fact, there's only, to date, been about 500 people who've been diagnosed with it. Probably been plenty of others who died from aortic dissections before they ever knew they had it. That's the main thing that it does, is it causes everyone who has Lois Dietz syndrome can expect in their future they're going to have an aortic dissection and probably die from that. Um, and there's other problems with it as well. So, knowing that I had that and that I'm susceptible to my arteries breaking, they said, we need to, to do some CAT scans and see how your aorta's doing now. So I went in and I had CAT scans, thoracic and abdominal, abdominal CAT scans, and what it showed is that I had huge aneurysms in my remaining aorta and that they did them over a couple months and found they were expanding at an alarming rate. So I met with the, another doctor there, a surgeon, and he said, we're going to have to replace your whole aorta. So it is the most complicated cardiovascular procedure that we do here. And it takes about 20 hours to do the whole thing. So I can't do it all at once. I'll do the first stage, which will be from your heart through the ascending aorta and, and the arch, and then we'll give you about three months to recover. We'll come back, and we'll do the de descending aorta. 
I wasn't thrilled about this, but I didn't have any choice. Then, and I remember him sitting there with his legs crossed and chair next to the end of my bed, and he starts going through, as they're required to do, you know, all the risks of the surgery. But he said it so matter-of-factly when he said things like, there is a 20% chance of, di- uh, there is a 20% chance that you will die on the operating table. There is a much higher percentage that you will end up paralyzed. With all certainty, because we have to move your vocal cords to do part of this surgery, you will forever have a very hoarse, raspy voice. And he's just rolling through these things, and I'm like, really? And then he leaves the room and leaves me there. And that was really hard to deal with, and that's when I was scared, and I knew that that the Lord was healing me, and I knew that the Lord was working in me, but I was scared and worried. And so when I had to go in for that first surgery, which was really my third surgery, but the first stage of what they call an elephant trunk procedure, having my aorta replaced, I was pretty nervous, worried about that. And I remember on June 25th, 2008, going into the prep room to prepare for surgery. And just as they were about to give me the anesthesia, I closed my eyes. And I saw a vision, and I can see it as clearly as I see all of you here right now. I saw this vision of thousands of people standing on a hill. And I knew that they were praying for me. And that was a tremendous gift from God. Because I needed peace, and that gave me peace. And I knew that I was going to come out of that surgery and be whole again. Because God gave that to me, and I knew people were praying for me. And a lot of those people were were you. So I went through the surgery. I came out the next day. Uh, this was the, now the third time that they had to saw through my aorta um, and do an open heart surgery. And after about another week in the hospital, I was recovering, and I went home. Well, the summer of 2008 was very, very difficult. I already told you that uh, that was the summer we planned my funeral. First, I developed pneumonia. So I, I went to uh, the hospital in Olean. And they said, we can't take care of you. You have to get back to Cleveland. Put me on a helicopter again. Flew me out to Cleveland. So I was treated in the hospital for about a week again. Started recovering. Sent home. And I would have days where I would be okay. I remember going to to Anthony's basketball camp over at Houghton College. And I went one day and I was in a wheelchair. And I went the next day and I was able to walk a little bit. But that didn't last. And so through most of the rest of the summer, my wife had to push me around in a wheelchair. And here this active guy who, who used to run and lift weights and play basketball all the time, my exercise now was my wife pushing me up the side road in a wheelchair on a sunny day just so I could get out of the house. I remember some friends coming from the courthouse, a judge and a lawyer and a court reporter, to see me. And here I am in this wheelchair with a blanket over my legs and I was thin and weak and they just came to talk to me and I couldn't even talk because it was so hard to talk I ended up vomiting several times just from from that effort and they were there praise God because obviously I wasn't working at this point and they had raised $7,000 at the courthouse to bring to me that day which was one of many financial gifts that the Lord provided to me during that time but so I got worse, and then in August, 
Um, one morning, I was really bad. I essentially couldn't lift my head up any longer. And I'd been to the hospital so many times now that I, it sort of became commonplace. So I said to my wife, it was a Sunday morning, I said, look, drop me off at Jones in Wellsville, go to church, come back after church, see how I'm doing. So she dropped me off about 10 in the morning and went to Sunday school and then came back with our pastor and the two of them were praying with me. And the doctor came in and he said, Tom, he said, the heart failure is really bad and there's nothing we can do for you here. You have to get back out to Cleveland. But we've checked with three companies and nobody can fly you because there's this heavy cloud cover and bad weather between here and Cleveland. And it's not expected to clear up for the next nine hours. So during those nine hours, we'll try to keep you comfortable and try to keep you alive, but there's nothing we can do for you. My wife's praying, my pastor's praying. Exactly 15 minutes later, the doctor came back in and his face was white and he said, I can't explain this. I just got a call. The clouds have dissipated. They're readying a jet right now in Cleveland to fly out and pick you up. My pastor said to the doctor, you know what that is. He said, well, I do. But he wouldn't admit it. (laughs) So they sent a jet out from Cleveland. And this was kind of cool because I'm getting tired of helicopters, you know. Now I get to go first class in my own little private jet. And... uh, So I flew out to Cleveland, and when I got to Cleveland, um, I saw the doctors, and the doctor said, you're going to need a heart transplant. Wow, nobody expected that. We never saw that coming, a heart transplant? And then we talked about heart transplants over the next few days, and they said people wait months and months, and sometimes they get hooked to something called an LVAD, which helps their heart to, to keep beating and to keep them alive while they're waiting, and I met people in the hospital later who had been there for one, four months, one, five, another one, nine months, waiting for a heart transplant. So, okay, I guess I'm going to be in Cleveland for a long time. Um, And then on August 25th, 2008, Dr. Taylor came in to see me, and he said, Tom, I met with the transplant team, and we've placed you at the top of the list but we have to find a suitable heart. It has to be suitable in blood type and tissue and size. And if we don't have one in four to five days, you are going to die. And he said, I have to be honest with you. That's just extremely, extremely unlikely. So I want you to start preparing for that, and you need to call your wife and talk to her. So I called her up, and I said, happy anniversary, honey. He said, it was our anniversary. And I said, tell Tyler, I said, happy birthday, because it was his birthday. And then I said, Dr. Taylor came to see me today, and he said, I have four to five days left to live. And I expected that she was going to start crying and, I don't know, break down. But she didn't. She said, Tom, there are a lot of people praying for you, and we're going to up that right now, and I'm going to start calling everyone and tell them to pray more and pray harder. And you're going to get your heart. And... You guys know, you know, she called you guys and and you were praying for me and and many of the people in this church were praying for me. And two days later, Dr. Taylor came in and he said, Tom, I can't believe it. It only took two days, but we have a suitable heart that's being flown here right now. But, and isn't there always a but? He said, (laughs) 
He said, but Tom, this heart has, it has, it's positive for hepatitis B and C. And he said, we'll talk more about that and what that's going to mean for you in the future. But if you don't get this heart, you're not going to live. It's not going to happen again in the next two days and you're not going to live. And I said, that's fine. I'll, I'll take that. And uh, so then when they got the heart to Cleveland, they tested it again. There was no hepatitis B and C. And they tested it in my heart, in, in my body, once it was put in there, just to confirm there was no hepatitis. So, you know, it was probably just a false reading wherever they got the heart. Or maybe God again did something. Um, so two days later, I got the heart. And four days after I had the heart transplant, I was able to walk a total of two miles, quarter-mile intervals. And probably it only took me about 45 minutes to do the whole two miles. But... Um, I could walk in quarter miles, and I did it eight times that day and walked two miles. Whereas, you know, a few weeks earlier, I couldn't even lift my head off of my chest. Praise God. So then I had to stay in Cleveland for the next couple months because I had to go to the hospital. Even after I was discharged from the hospital, you had to stay there. They had a hotel across the street because you had to go every day and have tests done and do rehab. And uh, by the way, I still only have half of my aorta repaired. I still have to do the other half. So I knew I had that ahead of me. Um, so I, I finally came home in October, and that was a wonderful thing. And another funny story about that, my wife had painted on a sheet, Welcome Home, Tom, and she hung it on the corner of the property, and, and that was great. I got home and I saw this. And uh, the next day, she went to work, and I was out in the driveway, and this woman in this little yellow convertible Corvette that I've never seen since or had ever seen before, pulls up in the driveway and she says, where you been? I go, um, Cleveland? And she said, she said, well, were you fighting in the war or something? And I said, no, I was waiting for a heart transplant. And uh, she said, oh, I saw the sign. I thought maybe you were a veteran or something. All right, never mind. But she left. (laughs) So... Uh, so then I saw the doctor again, another doctor, and he said, you know, from all these surgeries, you have a, a blockage in your carotid and subclavian artery, which carotid would be going up into my head and subclavian out into my arm. That's why you don't have a very good pulse on that side and probably why you have some, you know, crazy thoughts too. But um, so anyway, he said, we're going to have to go in and do this double bypass and get that corrected. I said, okay. So in November, back into the hospital, back into the surgery room, and I had this double bypass done. So that was November 17th. And every year for Thanksgiving, we've had, my family has had a tradition that we have friends we went to Houghton with who live down in Delaware, and we go down and we spend Thanksgiving with them. And I didn't want to miss that. So I got out of the hospital on November 20th, and on November 24th, we drove down to Delaware, and uh, that Black Friday, we got up at 4 a.m. and did our, you know, our Christmas shopping and and had a great Thanksgiving and everything. I didn't let it hold me back. But I still needed to have my aorta replaced. So that was scheduled for December 15th. And by that point, I was starting to get pretty bad again, getting a lot of pain as the aneurysms would expand. It would cause great pain because it's pressing against organs and, and other things. So I went back into the hospital on December 15th, 
and had surgery on December 17th, and the doctor had told me, uh, you'll be out of the hospital by Christmas. So being the optimistic guy I am, I made reservations for a hotel um, in Toronto for New Year's Day, for New Year's Eve, and also bought tickets for Disney on Ice to take my family. (laughs) And my wife, God bless her, she knew this was not going to happen, but I needed that. You know, I needed something to look forward to. So, uh, back in the hospital, back in the surgery room again, and the doctor had told me ahead of time, he said, look, this time, because we've already cut through your sternum four times and now you have a transplanted heart, we're not going to do that again. We're going to go through your side and we'll just cut up here and over. I said, okay, you know, that's not all right. It sounded better than going through my chest again. Well, he didn't really give me the whole story because what he actually had to do um, I remember going in into the going in to be prepped for surgery, and you know this again. This is becoming old hat. I've done this plenty of times, and but they always strapped my arms down to my side. This time, it was like I was being hung on a cross. I was like this, and I didn't know why that was. But I tried to think about Christ, and I said, Lord, you know, you hung on that cross for me. I'm your son. I know everything's going to be all right. And, and literally, I was just like that, thinking those thoughts. So. The reason they did that is because then when they did the surgery, they turned me up this way so that one hand points toward the floor and one hand points toward the ceiling. And then they cut me from two inches below my navel, up this way, around, over, and then up to the base of my neck. They cut through five ribs and removed one entirely to do this last surgery. I woke up the next day, and as Bill said, it was like being cut in half. I opened my gown, I had 85 staples around me, holding me back together. And uh, not only was it very ugly, but it also was very painful. And I remember you know, having a morphine drip and just hitting that button because I needed, I needed to get rid of that pain. But I recovered, started to recover anyway. And I was looking forward to Disney on Ice. <laughs> and uh, then Christmas Eve, Something happened and I couldn't breathe. And I had to have an oxygen tube in my nose. Without the oxygen tube, I could not breathe. So they took me for some tests and they found that on my left lung, something had happened and two pints of blood and fluid had settled on top of that lung and I had four blood clots on top of the lung and they were gonna have to do another surgery. And you know, through this whole thing, I always had doctors and nurses and people come in my room, they'd say, how do you stay so cheerful? You've been through all this and you're always cheerful, you're always in a good mood. And I said, you know what? God's in control. God gave me another day. What do I have to be unhappy about? Well, now I learned what I had to be unhappy about. And for the first time in my whole life, depression sank in. And I never understood that before. I thought, you're depressed, get over it. Well, it's not really like that. Some of you probably have experienced that, and you know it's not like that. And I thought, Lord, what have you done? Now, I thought this was the end. 2008, it's over, it's done. I don't have to deal with hospitals. Now, is this going to be my life? I just go in and out of surgery until I die. I can't take it anymore. And I shut down. I was back in cardiac ICU, and I put my Bible aside. I refused to read it. I refused to pray. I refused to talk to anyone. People would call me. These guys would call me. And I'd pick up the phone and say, I'm not talking to anybody. And I'd hang it up. And Cece called Bill. 
and said, Bill, you need to go see him. So Bill came out to Cleveland, and he came in my room, and I turned, and I said, Bill, I'm not talking to anybody. I don't want to see you here. And he said, you don't have to talk to me, but I'm staying in your room. I'm staying here all night. I'm not leaving. I'm going to pray for you. If you don't want to talk to me, that's up to you, but I'm staying. And he did. And we did talk, and he prayed for me, and it helped, and I'm really, really thankful, Bill, that you did that, that you let the Lord use you to do that for me. Thank you. But it didn't take my depression away. It didn't take away from me thinking about having another surgery and going through more of this stuff, and I stayed depressed. And on January 5th, you know, now I, I stay in the hospital through Christmas and through New Year's and through my birthday and January 5th actually the day before my birthday 2009 I went in and they had to reopen this whole thing on my side to get in there at my lung and take all this fluid out and they scraped the top layer of my lung off which still causes me pain every day and it was tough to take Got out of the hospital in January, then I started developing infections and going back in the hospital. And for several months, I was very depressed. And I knew God was in control, and I knew this whole thing that God had healed me, that God had kept me alive, that God had a plan for me, that I was his child, all those things. And we all know those things, but sometimes it's too much to take. And I hit that point where it was too much to take. But he got me through that. And I got better, and I got healthier, and I was able to take vacations with my kids again. And I went back, and I played basketball a couple times, and I wasn't very good at it, but you know what? I wasn't that good before anyway, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't able to, to run, though eventually I was able to, but uh, I still wanted to be athletic. I still wanted to compete. I still wanted to get worth out of that, and so I started taking up cycling. And I'd ride my bike all the time because that didn't hurt me and I could do that. And uh, I ended up two years later in August of 2010, so two years after planning my, my funeral, I was able to compete in something called the U.S. Transplant Games and ride my bike in that. And that was a great thing. And I wish I had the slide. I, I spoke in, in chapel at Houghton on Friday and I, I have a slide that there's a picture I love of my family with me at the Transplant Games. And I'm wearing a medal, and I didn't win a medal. I did pretty poorly, but I thought, you know what? God has me here, and I'm as proud as anybody who won a medal. So I went to the dollar store, bought, bought one, and, and wore it around my neck <laughs> to the closing ceremonies. <laughs> and, uh, and I just thank God that he restored me. And I'm not in perfect health. None of you are in perfect health. But God brought me through that. And then I had to think about for a long time. Why? And people would say, you know, well, you deserve this. No, I didn't deserve this. You know what? The Bible tells me that all have sinned and fall short, fallen short of the glory of God. And what are the wages of sin? Death. I deserve death. But God had a different plan for me. And there were lots of other reasons that people gave me for why I went through this. And I don't know. But one day as I was thinking about that, I was reading John chapter 9. And the story about the man born born blind and of course Jesus has asked why did this happen was it because of his parents sin or his sin and Jesus amazingly says it doesn't have anything to do with that 
when I ask about why did this happen to me? Was it something I did? Was it a test, a trial of my faith? Was it something else? Jesus says it didn't have anything to do with that. What was his answer about the blind man? This was done to show the works of God in his life, to bring glory to God. And I feel that that's why I went through all this. You know, I, I think Jesus could have given that message with a little bit less, but, but that's all right. You know, that's why I went through this. And I don't regret a moment of it because he did it so that God's works could be shown in my life. And I thank him for that. And my response to that, and I don't have this verse memorized, but Psalm 105, 1, um, you know, he calls us to tell of his wonderful works, and he calls us to tell others what God has done in our lives. And that's what I've, I've tried to do as a result of this. And I, I sort of lost track today. There were, there were some other things I wanted to share. Like I told you, I'd, I'd come back to this. Basically, this is what now my entire aorta is made out of, as well as five arteries inside my body. I'm the only person, well, at the time, in 2008, I was the first person ever in history to have a complete aorta, a complete aorta replacement and a heart transplant that had never been done because these are two different things. So God did tremendous things, but he did them so that his glory could be shown and so that I can share that with other people. And I hope I shared a little bit of that with you today. Thank you.